Good morning, saints. So you have heard me talk about the word behold in the Bible. I'd like to begin by highlighting this word again for a reason. When we see the word behold in the Old and the New Testaments, it serves the purpose of saying, stop. Listen to what I'm about to say. Because what I'm about to say is not what you might expect. There's great consequence to what I'm about to say. We remember Isaiah, seven, eight hundred years before Jesus was born. He gave this prophecy that there would be a sign in Isaiah chapter 7. That a virgin would be found with child. That doesn't happen often. And furthermore, this child would be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. This baby would be like, unlike any other baby that has ever or will ever be born. And that phrase begins with the word, behold. Because you need to pay attention to this as this line of the Messiah is drawn all throughout the Old Testament. There are punctuating statements that begin with the word behold. Now I'd like to look at another word or highlight another word that we often find in the gospel accounts. It's the word astonished. This word in English appears 15 times in the gospel accounts and a few times in the book of Acts. It doesn't really show up much after that. You probably know what the word astonished means. Something is very, we've just witnessed something that is very surprising. We weren't expecting it. Which is why the gospel writers use this word to describe how the crowds would respond to Jesus and to his ministry. It's not often that we wake up and expect or that they would expect to meet this rabbi named Jesus. We don't often wake up and expect to see someone raised from the dead or a completely miraculous physical healing done right in front of our very eyes. The gospel writers would say that the crowds were astonished at what they saw in Jesus. But there's another element as well that the gospel writers hone in on. And that is how Jesus would teach. You see, Jesus was not like their teachers. He would teach as one who had authority. His message brought such conviction to those who would hear. And so when Jesus taught, the gospel writers would point out that the crowds who heard him were astonished. They were taken aback at how Jesus is completely different, the confidence with which he would teach. 
and how it would affect them. Let's look at Mark chapter 6, verse 2. I'd like to give you one example of how we encounter the word astonished. Primarily in the Gospels. Mark chapter 6, verse 2 says this. And on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished. Saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom that is given to him? How are such mighty works done by his name? I love this verse because it brings it all together. Jesus is doing things that we have never seen before. And when he teaches, when he opens the word of God, it's unlike anyone we have ever heard before. So keep in mind this word astonished. It's a strong word. It's a strong reaction. When we witness something that we were not expecting. Or something that completely exceeds our expectations. Now remember the word astonished can be used in a positive sense. It can also be used in a very negative response. What I am witnessing, what I have just seen, what I have just heard is not at all what I would expect. So I invite you to turn or scroll to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, and we'll read our sermon text for this morning. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, we read this. I am astonished. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. In the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you. And want to distort the gospel of Christ. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven. Should preach to you a gospel Contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
Now, please note, it is typical in this place in a letter that Paul or one of the apostles would write. They would take a moment to commend the people that they're writing to. They would be sure to highlight something positive about what they see in their midst. Even the Corinthian church, known for its complete dysfunctionality, received commendations from Paul. But not the Galatians. Not that there, I'm sure, were good things happening But I imagine that Paul was so intent to address the problems that were taking place, he launches right into what he has to address with them. No niceties. How you doing? It's been a while. Nice to, you know, hope you're glad to hear from me. So let's take a moment to recap briefly some things that we've already seen about the book of Galatians. Paul begins by highlighting the essence of the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. Jesus did not merely give us something. He gave himself. Who gave himself For our sins. We noted that some key themes in this letter are salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not of our works. It does not consist of our contributions that we bring to the table. We will also be looking at legalism. Which... It's the opposite of the heart of the gospel, which is freedom in Christ. It was for this very freedom that Christ shed his precious blood. Now, the story, the plot in this letter is a group of people called the Judaizers. They were false teachers who claimed to be sent by the church in Jerusalem. They were having a really hard time parting ways with Moses as they have known the law to that point. In particular, they were alarmed that Gentiles were now being called into the family of God. And so they were rushing in to say, okay, if the Gentiles are a part of this too, don't forget to tell them that they need to keep the law. They were determined to make sure that if the Gentiles were now going to be called the people of God, Well, we need to take that noose that we have never kept ourselves, the law, and we're going to put it right on their neck. So it was high drama. Paul was coming to back to address the Galatians because in such a short period of time, 
they were turning away from the gospel of grace. I'll put it another way. They were turning away from the one and only gospel. And they began to promote a so-called gospel that involved works. Now remember, gospel means good news. I am here to tell you that if I require you to keep the law, there is not much good news in that. Do you see what the issue is? He was not suggesting that there are multiple gospels to choose from. He was affirming there is one true gospel. And he was calling out this false gospel. Now notice the use of his word astonished. That's why it took some time to build that understanding up. Paul begins by telling them that he is astonished. It's as if it's the same reaction as if he had just seen someone raised from the dead that he didn't expect. Or a healing done in his midst that he didn't expect. This is absolutely not something that Paul was expecting to hear. And he is definitely not using this word astonished. Older translations use the word marvel, maybe. He's not using it in a positive sense. Essentially, he's saying you have had the best of the best. Why would you ever settle for anything less? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the best, the most powerful, the most beautiful message known to man. And you Galatians, you are turning from that to a cheap alternative that brings absolutely no joy whatsoever. And if you preach that so-called gospel... It has no power to save. Note the present tense of the word deserting. This was in motion. It is present tense. They are deserting the gospel. So Paul is rushing in to say there is one course correction that can be taken, and that is to abandon the falsehood that, that you are beginning to embrace. There is yet hope for you Galatians. This word deserting in the Greek, it has this sense that it's coming from within. So yes, there were these Judaizers who were causing trouble. But this is a problem that you are responsible for. You need to own it. Because you're beginning to believe what they say. And you need to make a course correction. I'd like is my first point, if you will. To highlight a concept that is very well worth our consideration. It has to do with the message 
and the messenger. The message and the person with a capital P. Because Paul is going to call them out for deserting both. And I want you to see how important that concept is. By saying previously that Jesus gave himself for our sins. He did not merely come bringing a gift. He did not bring something to give us. He didn't delegate someone else to give us something. He gave his very self. He suffered on the cross. He bled and he died. He was beaten. They yanked his beard. They spit on his face. They made him carry his own cross, which was your cross, under which he collapsed. He was born in Bethlehem for the very purpose of reconciling us to God. To restore that true relationship that had been lost. He redeemed us from our own sin. And he rescued us from God's holy and righteous judgment. Now we know that it was the Father, God the Father, who sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It is God himself who called us into wonderful fellowship with his son, Jesus. When the Galatians began peddling a different message, a false message, a cheap alternative, they were deserting God himself. God is the one who so graciously calls us to himself in the gospel. This is no small matter. They, he says, were deserting and turning away from God. Now the message of the New Testament is to turn in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ alone as our Savior and Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I'd like to illustrate this for you in a very practical way. You might have seen this before. This is my left hand. This hand represents you and me. This is my right hand, and this represents God and Jesus. When God created man originally, it was good. There was no sin. There was unbroken fellowship with Adam and Eve and with God. Nothing in between. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters into the world. My phone represents sin. So now we are burdened under a weight of sin. This sin gets in the way, it prevents true fellowship. In fact, the Bible says that we are under the condemnation of God if we haven't believed in Christ. So this is the heart of the gospel. Jesus, who knew no sin, took our sin on himself. He bore our sins completely. Scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5, 
that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the gospel. Christ does it all. He takes all of it and he removes it from us. We are no longer under condemnation. So please notice what I am combining. The person and the message. Now why am I saying this? Many times people will go to one extreme and they will say, well, I just, I just love Jesus. That's it. I just love Jesus. That's all I want. Sometimes this crowd will not pay much attention at all to what Jesus actually said or taught. They certainly don't pay attention to what the apostles taught or the rest of the New Testament. They just want to love Jesus, and in some cases, they don't want to be confronted with what Jesus said or the fact that some things are sin. This is a wrong approach because we cannot know Jesus apart from his message. We can't separate the two. That's how we know the details of who he is. Remember this verse that I pointed out many times. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, if you continue in my word, in my teaching, you are truly my disciples, or you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, Jesus, when he talked about following him, loving him, knowing him, making him known, he intrinsically tied that to the word of truth. It's not one or the other. Let me take you to Jude chapter 3. This is towards the end of your Bible, Jude chapter 3. This is such an important verse. Jude says this, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write you appealing that you contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude said, I had it in my mind that I was going to write to you and tell you wonderful things that Paul and others have told you about our common salvation. But the Lord stopped me and he prompted me instead to write with this message that you contend, now watch this, for the faith. Now here's the catch. In English, it's clear. But in Greek, it's a lot more clear. And here's what you need to know. The word faith, that's the object. Everything else around it is qualifying or describing faith. So you could read it in this way. Contend for the once for all 
delivered to the saints faith. This faith has been delivered. That's past tense. It has happened. It has come. The faith, the gospel, it's been delivered. But the way he describes it is of utmost importance. The once for all, not going to happen again, not going to be amended, not going to be changed. The once for all delivered, past tense, to the saints, faith. It's been received by the, by the saints. The church has been established. Which is why we say no to any Tom, Dick, or Harry who comes along and said, I've got a revelation, I'm going to start a new religion, here's a real thing. We just say no, thank you. What I want you to see here is that by following Jesus, we are giving our attention to his teaching and also to those of the apostles. That those two concepts are, are tied together. But I will say there's a word for those on the other extreme. The words of Jesus have life. They point us to him. Let us not be so rigid in reading God's word that we neglect to walk by the Spirit. It is a person with a capital P with whom we are communing. There'll be more on this later on in the letter. For now, I simply want to say this. That when we say that we are Christ followers, we are not divorcing the word of Christ from Christ himself. We are not divorcing the written word from the living word. Do you see what Paul said to the Galatians in our text? They're turning away so quickly from him, the one who gave himself for them. One more verse that Jeff has already read this morning. This is a foundational Awana verse and for good reason. This is what Paul told the Corinthians. He said this, for I delivered to you as of first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That he was buried and that he rose again in accordance with the scripture on the third day. This is the apostolic message. If Christ died for your sins, tell me exactly what you think you're going to contribute to this equation. If the Son of God came, the advent of the Christ, if he came in fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophecies, if he laid down his life, what you got that's going to beat that? It's an insult to the blood of Christ that we would add our own works to that. The evangelist D.L. Moody, he said it so, so well. He said, I'm, there's a little sarcasm on his part. He said, I'm glad that we are saved by grace and not by good works. Because I don't want to sit in heaven and listen to everyone brag for eternity on how they got there. Again. That was a sarcastic comment 
by the evangelist. He wasn't giving room for that possibility. I'd like to highlight another word, which is anathema. Such a strong word that Paul uses when he says, let him be accursed. This word rightly understood means let him be damned. Paul is not messing. This is not a secondary issue. This is not weak language. This is the strongest possible term in the strongest possible terms that Paul could possibly address the Galatians. To add works to grace is no longer the gospel. Notice he says it here and he says it again. If we or even an angel from heaven were to come down and preach a gospel that is contrary to what you have already received, let him be damned. Remember we said in the beginning that Paul uses strong language? Here's incidents number one. And he's only a handful of verses in. This is not a small issue. It is woven into human nature that somehow we are going to contribute to our well-being. We see it virtually in every religion, every philosophy under the sun. It's a little bit of maybe his help and a little bit of ours. We perform and maybe, just maybe, he'll let us in. Look at every religion outside of the gospel. And that's what you have. Look at philosophy. Karma. Right? That's what a lot of people just ask karma. Please understand how strongly Paul is addressing this. We do not earn our salvation by our own merit, and nor can we ever preach anything close to that. It must be noted that this is not a problem isolated to the Galatian church, which is why it's in your New Testament. This, as I said, is simply human nature. It's where we tend to. Jude, Peter, they all spoke to these things. Fast forward just a little bit in church history. The influential African church leader, Tertullian. AD 160 to 220. He was well known as an avid debater and tackled head on those who would promote a false gospel. He was actively engaged in In this process, he was from what's modern-day Tunisia. This must be the mindset of the church from those earliest times for now as well. But here's the thing that Paul will also address. If we began by grace... If we got in by grace, if we're saved by grace, we do not continue on 
with our good works. We fully expect, rightfully so, for good works to flow from our salvation because the Holy Spirit has changed us, given us a new heart. He's at work in us. We expect to see the fruit of salvation in our lives. But we are not expecting those good works to get us in. We do not work to keep our salvation or somehow to make God love us more than he already does. And that concept is legalism. We do not work to avoid losing our good standard, standing. We do not work to make God accept us more. This is something we will see throughout Galatians. Third and finally, I would like to highlight this important statement that Paul makes. Verse 10. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? This was important for Paul because they were challenging his apostolic Ministry. They were pointing to the fact that, well, he actually wasn't a part of the original 12. They were doing everything they could to upend his authority and his influence. One of Paul's responses is simply this Look, I didn't sign up for this to be popular. I'm not actually getting a whole lot out of this in temporal terms. I switched my life of comfort and respect for a life of persecution and hatred and opposition and poverty. Paul says, this is not my own invention. Can't you see the irony in this? I was the guy not long ago who's killing these people. But God's wonderful grace has come to me and he saved me. And I will live and die for the sake of the gospel. And I will not allow anyone to come in and upend the truth of the gospel. But now there is a question for us. Let's make application to this. Paul says he's not pleasing men. We, we can see that. Right? He exchanged a lot of good stuff for bad stuff in that sense by becoming a Christian and serving God. But I want to ask that question of each of us this morning. Are we living to please man or to please God? That's a very important question. I am not saying that we are the Apostle Paul. But I am saying that this is a theme that actually we find all throughout Scripture. Proverbs tells us that the fear of man will prove to be a snare. If we live our life constantly not wanting to, you know, wanting to please people, that will become a snare to us. Our reverence should be for God. Because sometimes our reverence and our worship of God will lead us in a different direction than those around us. 
So I commend to you that question this morning by way of specific application. Paul is arguing the authenticity of his apostleship by reminding them, I'm not doing this to be popular. But I know in my own life, I have to check this all the time. Am I living to please God, even in the small things? Or am I living for people? You don't want to do the latter. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. We've just heard the word of the Lord. Such strong words from the Apostle Paul. Wanting to safeguard and entrust the truth of the message, the truth of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel, which is good news because we have actually nothing to do with it. I want to make that gospel crystal clear this morning. The good news of the New Testament of Jesus Christ is that Christ died for sinners. He bore our sins on the cross. And being the Son of God, it was impossible for death to hold him. He rose again on the third day. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. My dear friend, this morning, have you come to that place where you acknowledge what is not hard to acknowledge, that you yourself, you're a sinner, that we fall short of God's glory and his perfection? Will you this day put your faith and your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Believing who he is, Lord of all, and what he has done, and abandon your efforts to impress God, but to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance And put your faith in him and him alone as your Savior. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we give you thanks for the simplicity, for the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for so many here this morning who could testify to the life changing power of the gospel. That used to be me, but look at me now. Lord, we dare not ever add, (coughs) excuse me, add to that. We pray that if there's but one here this morning who has never put their faith in Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. We pray that we who know you would walk with confidence and joy, knowing that we are accepted fully in Christ.
We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.